Section four of the Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume One by James Boswell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Samuel Johnson, footnote, Johnson's godfather, Dr. Samuel Swinfen, according to the author of Memoirs of the Life and Writings of Dr. Johnson, was at the time of his birth lodging with Michael Johnson. Johnson had uncles on the mother's side, named Samuel and Nathaniel, after whom he and his brother may have been named. It seems more likely that it was his godfather who gave him his name. End of footnote. Was born at Lichfield in Staffordshire on the 18th of September, New Style, 1709, and his initiation into the Christian church was not delayed or his baptism is recorded in the register of St. Mary's Parish in that city to have been performed on the day of his birth. His father is there styled gentleman, a circumstance of which an ignorant panegyrist has praised him for not being proud, when the truth is that the appellation of gentleman, though now lost in the indiscriminate assumption of esquire, was commonly taken by those who could not boast of gentility. Footnote, as early as 1709, the Tatler complains of this indiscriminate assumption. I'll undertake that if you read the superscriptions to all the officers in the kingdom, you will not find three letters directed to any but esquires. In a word, it is now populus amigerorum a people of esquires and i don't know but by the late act of naturalization foreigners will assume that title as part of the immunity of being englishmen End of footnote. his father was michael johnson a native of derbyshire of obscure extraction footnote. i can hardly tell who was my grandfather said johnson who settled in Lichfield as a bookseller and stationer. Footnote. Michael Johnson was born in 1656. He must have been engaged in the book trade as early as 1681, for in the Life of Dryden, his son says, The sale of Absalom and Achitophel was so large that my father, an old bookseller, told me he had not known it equalled but by Sir Cheverell's trial. In the Life of Spratt he is described by his son as an old man who had been no careless observer of the passages of those times. End of footnote. His mother was Sarah Ford, descended of an ancient race of substantial yeomanry in Warwickshire. Footnote. Her epitaph says that she was born at King's Norton. King's Norton is in Worcestershire and not, as the epitaph says, in Agro Fabicensi. When Johnson, a few days before his death, burnt his papers, some fragments of his annals escaped the flames. One of these was never seen by Boswell. It was published in 1805 under the title of an account of the life of Dr. Samuel Johnson from his birth to his eleventh year, written by himself. In this he says, 
my mother had no value for my father's relations those indeed whom we knew of were much lower than hers writing to mrs thrale on his way to scotland he said we changed our horses at darlington where mr cornelius harrison a cousin german of mine was perpetual curate he was the only one of my relations who ever rose in fortune above penury or in character above neglect his uncle harrison he described as a very mean and vulgar man drunk every night but drunk with little drink very peevish very proud very ostentatious but luckily not rich in notes and queries is given the following extract of the marriage of johnson's parents from the register of packwood in warwickshire seventeen hundred and six michael johnsones of lichfield and sarah ford married june the ninth end of footnote they were well advanced in years when they married and never had more than two children both sons samuel their first-born who lived to be the illustrious character whose various excellence i am to endeavour to record and nathaniel who died in his twenty-fifth year character of michael johnson anno domini seventeen hundred and nine mr michael johnson was a man of a large and robust body and of a strong and active mind yet as in the most solid rocks veins of unsound substance are often discovered there was in him a mixture of that disease the nature of which eludes the most minute inquiry though the effects are well known to be a weariness of life and unconcern about those things which agitate the greater part of mankind and a general sensation of gloomy wretchedness Footnote mrs piozzi records that johnson told her that his father was wrong-headed positive and afflicted with melancholy from him then his son inherited with some other qualities a vile melancholy which in his too strong expression of any disturbance of the mind made him mad all his life at least not sober Footnote, journal of a tour to the hebrides boswell end of footnote. michael was however forced by the narrowness of his circumstances to be very diligent in business not only in his shop footnote, stockdale in his memoirs records an anecdote told him by johnson of the generosity of one of the customers of his father this man was purchasing a book and pressed my father to let him have it at far less price than it was worth when his other topics of persuasion failed he had recourse to one argument which he thought would infallibly prevail you know mr johnson that i buy an almanac of you every year End of footnote. but by occasionally resorting to several towns in the neighbourhood footnote, extract of a letter dated trentham st peter's day seventeen sixteen written by the reverend george plaxton chaplain at that time to lord gower which may serve to show the high estimation in which the father of our great moralist was held johnson the lichfield librarian is now here 
he propagates learning all over this diocese and advanceth knowledge to its just height all the clergy here are his pupils and suck all they have from him allen cannot make a warrant without his precedent nor our quondam john evans draw a recognizance sine direzione michaelis gentleman's magazine october seventeen ninety one boswell some of which were at a considerable distance from lichfield footnote in notes and queries is given the following title-page of one of his books greek pharmacobasaos or the touchstone of medicines etc by sir john floyer of the city of lichfield knight doctor of medicine of queen's college oxford london printed for michael johnson bookseller and are to be sold at his shops at lichfield and utoxeter in staffordshire and ashby de la souche in leicestershire at that time booksellers shops in the provincial towns of england were very rare so that there was not one even in birmingham in which town old mr johnson used to open a shop every market-day he was a pretty good latin scholar and a citizen so creditable as to be made one of the magistrates of lichfield johnson writing of his birth says my father being that year sheriff of lichfield and to ride the circuit of the county mr croker suggests city not being aware that the city of lichfield was a county in itself see harwood's lichfield page one in like manner in the militia bill of seventeen fifty six we find entered devonshire with exeter city and county lincolnshire with lincoln city and county next day which was a ceremony then performed with great pomp he was asked by my mother whom he would invite to the riding and answered all the town now he feasted the citizens with uncommon magnificence and was the last but one that maintained the splendour of the riding he served the office of churchwarden in sixteen eighty eight of sheriff in seventeen hundred nine of junior bailiff in seventeen eighteen and senior bailiff in seventeen twenty five harwoods and being a man of good sense and skill in his trade he acquired a reasonable share of wealth of which however he afterwards lost the greatest part by engaging unsuccessfully in a manufacture of parchment Footnote. my father and mother had not much happiness from each other they seldom conversed for my father could not bear to talk of his affairs and my mother being unacquainted with books cared not to talk of anything else had my mother been more literate they had been better companions she might have sometimes introduced her unwelcome topic with more success if she could have diversified her conversation of business she had no distinct conception and therefore her discourse was composed only of complaint fear and suspicion neither of them ever tried to calculate the profits of trade or the expenses of living
my mother concluded that we were poor because we lost by some of our trades but the truth was that my father having in the early part of his life contracted debts never had trade sufficient to enable him to pay them and maintain his family he got something but not enough mr croker noticing the violence of johnson's language against the excise with great acuteness suspected some cause of personal animosity this mention of the trade in parchment an excisable article afforded a clue which has led to the confirmation of that suspicion in the records of the excise board is to be found the following letter addressed to the supervisor of excise at lichfield july twenty seventh seventeen twenty five the commissioners received yours of the twenty second instant and since the justices would not give judgment against mr michael johnson the tanner notwithstanding the facts were fairly against him the board direct that the next time he offends you do not lay an information against him but send an affidavit of the fact that he may be prosecuted in the exchequer End of he was a zealous high churchman and royalist and retained his attachment to the unfortunate house of stuart though he reconciled himself by casuistical arguments of expediency and necessity to take the oaths imposed by the prevailing power an incident in his life anno domini seventeen hundred nine there is a circumstance in his life somewhat romantic but so well authenticated that i shall not omit it a young woman of leek in staffordshire while he served his apprenticeship there conceived a violent passion for him and though it met with no favourable return followed him to lichfield where she took lodgings opposite to the house in which he lived and indulged her hopeless flame when he was informed that it so preyed upon her mind that her life was in danger he with a generous humanity went to her and offered to marry her but it was then too late her vital power was exhausted and she actually exhibited one of the very rare instances of dying for love she was buried in the cathedral of lichfield and he with a tender regard placed a stone over her grave with this inscription here lies the body of mrs elizabeth blaney a stranger she departed this life twentieth of september sixteen ninety four sarah johnson anno domini seventeen twelve johnson's mother was a woman of distinguished understanding i asked his old schoolfellow mr hector surgeon of birmingham if she was not vain of her son he said she had too much sense to be vain but she knew her son's value her piety was not inferior to her understanding and to her must be ascribed those early impressions of religion upon the mind of her son from which the world afterwards derived so much benefit he told me that he remembered distinctly having had the first notice of heaven a place to which good people went and hell a place to which bad people went communicated to him by her when a little child in bed with her footnote i remember that being in bed with my mother one morning 
i was told by her of the two places to which the inhabitants of this world were received after death one a fine place filled with happiness called heaven the other a sad place called hell that this account much affected my imagination i do not remember End of and that it might be better fixed in his memory she sent him to repeat it to thomas jackson their manservant he not being in the way this was not done but there was no occasion for any artificial aid for its preservation in following so very eminent a man from his cradle to his grave every minute particular which can throw light on the progress of his mind is interesting that he was remarkable even in his earliest years may easily be supposed for to use his own words in his life of sydenham that the strength of his understanding the accuracy of his discernment the ardour of his curiosity might have been remarked from his infancy by a diligent observer there is no reason to doubt for there is no instance of any man whose history has been minutely related that did not in every part of life discover the same proportion of intellectual vigour in all such investigations it is certainly unwise to pay too much attention to incidents which the credulous relate with eager satisfaction and the more scrupulous or witty inquirer considers only as topics of ridicule yet there is the traditional story of the infant hercules of toryism so curiously characteristic that i shall not withhold it it was communicated to me in a letter from miss mary addy of lichfield anecdotes of johnson's childhood when dr Cheverel was at lichfield johnson was not quite three years old my grandfather hammond observed him at the cathedral perched upon his father's shoulders listening and gaping at the much celebrated preacher mr hammond asked mr johnson how he could possibly think of bringing such an infant to church and in the midst of so great a crowd he answered because it was impossible to keep him at home for young as he was he believed he had caught the public spirit and zeal poor sir Cheverel, and would have stayed for ever in the church satisfied with beholding him Footnote. mr croker disbelieves the story altogether sir Cheverel, he says by his sentence pronounced in february seventeen ten was interdicted for three years from preaching so that he could not have preached at lichfield while johnson was under three years of age sir Cheverel indeed made a triumphal progress through the midland counties in seventeen ten and it appears by the books of the corporation of lichfield that he was received in that town and complimented by the attendants of the corporation and a present of three dozen of wine on june the sixteenth seventeen ten but then the infant hercules of toryism was just nine months old it is quite possible that the story is in the main correct sir Cheverel was received in lichfield in seventeen ten on his way down to shropshire to take possession of a living at the end of the suspension in march seventeen thirteen 
he preached a sermon in london for which as he told swift a bookseller gave him one hundred pounds intending to print thirty thousand swift's journal to stella april second seventeen thirteen it is likely enough that either on his way up to town or on his return journey he preached at lichfield in the spring of seventeen thirteen johnson was three years old End of footnote. nor can i omit a little instance of that jealous independence of spirit and impetuosity of temper which never forsook him the fact was acknowledged to me by himself upon the authority of his mother one day when the servant who used to be sent to school to conduct him home had not come in time he set out by himself though he was then so near-sighted that he was obliged to stoop down on his hands and knees to take a view of the kennel before he ventured to step over it his schoolmistress afraid that he might miss his way or fall into the kennel or be run over by a cart followed him at some distance he happened to turn about and perceive her feeling her careful attention as an insult to his manliness he ran back to her in a rage and beat her as well as his strength would permit of the power of his memory for which he was all his life eminent to a degree almost incredible the following early instance was told me in his presence at lichfield in seventeen seventy six by his stepdaughter mrs lucy porter as related to her by his mother johnson's infant precocity anno domini seventeen twelve when he was a child in petticoats and had learnt to read mrs johnson one morning put the common prayer-book into his hands pointed to the collect for the day and said sam you must get this by heart she went upstairs leaving him to study it but by the time she had reached the second floor she heard him following her what's the matter said she i can say it he replied and repeated it distinctly though he could not have read it more than twice but there has been another story of his infant precocity generally circulated and generally believed the truth of which i am to refute upon his own authority it is told footnote anecdotes of dr johnson by hester lynch piozzi life of dr johnson by sir john hawkins boswell end of footnote that when a child of three years old he chanced to tread upon a duckling the eleventh of a brood and killed it upon which it is said he dictated to his mother the following epitaph here lies good master duck whom samuel johnson trod on if it had lived it had been good luck for then we'd had an odd one there is surely internal evidence that this little composition combines in it what no child of three years old could produce without an extension of its faculties by immediate inspiration yet mrs lucy porter dr johnson's stepdaughter positively maintained to me in his presence that there could be no doubt of the truth of this anecdote for she had heard it from his mother so difficult is it to obtain an authentic relation of facts 
and such authority may there be for error for he assured me that his father made the verses and wished to pass them for his child's he added my father was a foolish old man Footnote. my father had much vanity which his adversity hindered from being fully exerted End of footnote. that is to say foolish in talking of his children footnote. this anecdote of the duck though disproved by internal and external evidence has nevertheless upon supposition of its truth been made the foundation of the following ingenious and fanciful reflections of miss seward amongst the communications concerning dr johnson with which he has been pleased to favour me these infant numbers contain the seeds of those propensities which through his life so strongly marked his character of that poetic talent which afterwards bore such rich and plentiful fruits for excepting his orthographic works everything which dr johnson wrote was poetry whose essence consists not in numbers or in jingle but in the strength and glow of a fancy to which all the stores of nature and of art stand in prompt administration and in an eloquence which conveys their blended illustrations in a language more tunable than needs or rhyme or verse to add more harmony the above little verses also show that superstitious bias which grew with his growth and strengthened with his strength and of late years particularly injured his happiness by presenting to him the gloomy side of religion rather than that bright and cheering one which fills the period of closing life with the light of pious hope this is so beautifully imagined that i would not suppress it but like many other theories it is deduced from a supposed fact which is indeed a fiction boswell his eyesight the king's evil young johnson had the misfortune to be much afflicted with the scrofula or king's evil which disfigured a countenance naturally well formed and hurt his visual nerves so much that he did not see at all with one of his eyes though its appearance was little different from that of the other there is among his prayers one inscribed when my eye was restored to its use footnote prayers and meditations page twenty seven boswell End of footnote. which ascertains a defect that many of his friends knew he had though i never perceived it footnote. speaking himself of the imperfection of one of his eyes he said to dr burney the dog was never good for much malone End footnote. i supposed him to be only near-sighted and indeed i must observe that in no other respect could i discern any defect in his vision on the contrary the force of his attention and perceptive quickness made him see and distinguish all manner of objects whether of nature or of art with a nicety that is rarely to be found when he and i were travelling in the highlands of scotland and i pointed out to him a mountain which i observed resembled a comb he corrected my inaccuracy by showing me that it was indeed pointed at the top but that one side of it was larger than the other footnote boswell's hebrides september the first seventeen seventy three end of footnote 
and the ladies with whom he was acquainted agreed that no man was more nicely and minutely critical in the elegance of female dress Footnote. no accidental position of a riband wrote mrs piozzi escaped him so nice was his observation and so rigorous his demands of propriety miss burney says notwithstanding johnson is sometimes so absent and always so near-sighted he scrutinizes into every part of almost everybody's appearance at streatham and again she writes his blindness is as much the effect of absence of mind as of infirmity for he sees wonderfully at times he can see the colour of a lady's topknot for he very often finds fault with it madame d'arblay's diary he could when well distinguish the hour on lichfield town clock in the footnote. when i found that he saw the romantic beauties of islam in derbyshire much better than i did i told him that he resembled an able performer upon a bad instrument how false and contemptible then are all the remarks which have been made to the prejudice either of his candour or of his philosophy founded upon a supposition that he was almost blind it has been said that he contracted this grievous malady from his nurse Footnote. this was dr swinfen's opinion who seems also to have attributed johnson's short-sightedness to the same cause my mother he says thought my diseases derived from her family when he was put out at nurse she visited me he says every day and used to go different ways that her assiduity might not expose her to ridicule End of footnote. his mother yielding to the superstitious notion which it is wonderful to think prevailed so long in this country as to the virtue of the regal touch a notion which our kings encouraged and to which a man of such inquiry and such judgment as cart could give credit carried him to london where he was actually touched by queen anne Footnote. in seventeen thirty eight cart published a masterly account of materials etc for a history of england with the method of his undertaking gentleman's magazine he proposed to do much of what has been since done under the direction of the master of the rolls he asked for subscriptions to carry on his great undertaking for in its researches it was to be very great in seventeen forty four the city of london resolved to subscribe fifty pounds for seven years in volume one of his history which only came down to the reign of john published in seventeen forty eight he went out of his way to assert that the cure by the king's touch was not due to the regal unction for he had known a man cured who had gone over to france and had been there touched by the eldest lineal descendant of a race of kings who had not at that time been crowned or anointed thereupon the court of common council by a unanimous vote withdrew its subscription the old jacobites 
maintained that the power did not descend to Mary, William, or Anne. It was for this reason that Boswell said that Johnson should have been taken to Rome, though indeed it was not till some years after he was touched by Queen Anne that the pretender dwelt there. The Hanoverian kings never touched. The service for the ceremony was printed in the Book of Common Prayer as late as 1719. It appears by the newspapers of the time, says Mr. Wright, quoted by Croker, that on March the 30th, 1712, 200 persons were touched by Queen Anne. Macaulay says that Charles the Second, in the course of his reign, touched near a 100,000 persons. The expense of the ceremony was a little less than £10,000 a year. End of footnote. Mrs. Johnson, indeed, as Mr. Hector informed me, acted by the advice of the celebrated Sir John Floyer, then a physician in Lichfield. Johnson used to talk of this very frankly, and Mrs. Piozzi has preserved his very picturesque description of the scene as it remained upon his fancy. Being asked if he could remember Queen Anne, he had, he said, a confused but somehow a sort of solemn recollection of a lady in diamonds and a long black hood. This touch, however, was without any effect. I ventured to say to him, in allusion to the political principles in which he was educated, and of which he ever retained some odour, that his mother had not carried him far enough. She should have taken him to Rome. End of section 4